Thanks, Lauren. Good morning, everyone. It's great to see you here. Um, we're doing something a little different over the next three weeks. Usually what we do is we work on a little passage of Scripture and we unpack what the passage of Scripture is all about in its context and thinking through how it fits, like we have over the last number of weeks with the book of uh, Genesis and thinking particularly about the story of Jacob. The next three weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to take a, well, it's not even, it's a funny sort of deep dive into John chapter 14, verse 6. I'm the way, the truth and the life. So three talks, I'm the way, I'm the truth and I'm the life. And just thinking a little more deeply about some of the implications of what it means that Jesus is the way or Jesus is the truth, Jesus is the life. And particularly if you're not yet at the place where you're a believer yet or you haven't um, quite got to that point where you want to trust in Jesus, these, are, I hope, will help you think it through a little bit more. So out in YouTube land with, uh, with all the people who watch us there and anyone who comes in here and you might like to think and pray about people to bring along in the coming two weeks after this week, it's a bit late for this week, but you know, um, think about that and how we might present the gospel, uh, present the good news about Jesus being the way, the truth and the life to people that we know. So, on the back of this little piece of paper, there is an outline, an outline where you can take notes if you'd like to, jot down questions, and at the very end, Lauren will talk to us about a connection card. You, if you have questions that raise, uh, raised for you by the talk today, then please connect to us through the connection card and we'll deal with them through the week. So, take some time to do that if you'd like to. Now, starting at point one, who can we trust? This is on the back of your outline. It would be great for you to have John 14, verse 6 open, but I think you can probably remember it, correct? However, we will be looking at around a little bit. We'll be looking at some of the verses before and after John 14, 6. So it would be great for you to have it open. Um, if you'd like a Bible, if you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles we'd love you to take home. They're on the tables at either end of the church. So point one, who can you trust? Who do you trust? Now, the last three years in particular, I mean, it hasn't been just the last three years, but in particular, the last three years have seen numerous crises of trust. And part of the crisis of trust is the burgeoning number of voices that clamour for our attention. Different experts have different opinions on things. And then, of course, politicians have different ideas. Your friends have different ideas. And then those most erudite of people, Instagram influencers, have their ideas. How do you navigate the world with so many voices? Now, of course, social media supposedly helps us with, with their algorithms that show us more of what we're interested in, thus cutting down this jostle of ideas around. But what it does in the end is it creates this echo chamber where we are left unchallenged in a world when we look around and it just affirms what we already think. So who do you trust? Now, would you believe, I know this is a long shot, but would you believe that once upon a time, people sort of trusted politicians? Hard to believe, isn't it? It sounds like a fairy tale, but there was such a time. Even over the past few years, we felt that. By and large, during COVID, we trusted Gladys. We trusted Kerry and Brad as they got up 11 o'clock every morning and gave us the latest news. And I don't know about you, but after a while, it became this sort of almost little comforting moment in the day where they, they navigated us through this difficult time. 
But when it comes to spiritual things, where do you turn to trust? When it comes to living our life morally, who are our influences? And if we want to understand anything about God, where do we go then? What do we do then? When it comes to spiritual concepts, ethics, religion, God, then so much of our world asserts that everything is relative. Everything is personal. There's no absolute truth. Believe whatever you want because everything is equally valid. And that's because religion and God somehow or other are seen to be not as matters of fact but matters of opinion. And then it must be that you can't know for sure the realities out there because it's just what you feel inside and what your opinion is and what you're thinking about and what echoes are going on around you. And so we end up in a world where we can't know any of those things for sure. We can't know God for sure. And so we need to ask the important question, can you know God? How can you know God? And the answer to this question may well change our life. Because if there is a God, and if he can be known, it means that spiritual matters are no longer just a matter of opinion there are actually rights and there are wrongs. You can't hold, for example, that there is no God atheism. There is, this becomes absolutely wrong. Or you can't hold that God may be there, but you can't know him. That's agnosticism. But what about other religions? Are they, as many say, just one God worshipped in different ways or are they different gods? Are some or all of them wrong? And it must then depend on what God is like and how we know him. So how can we know God? Now that depends on what God is like. If God is a force like Luke Skywalker, you know, that thing, the force, feel the force, Luke, you know, if that's what God is like, then what you do is you feel him, you experience him, you, you sometimes, like Luke does or Yoda, manipulate him. And if God is a philosophical concept, then you may know God by thinking about it, by rationality, by going to a Philosophy One course at university or something like that. However, if God is a person, then you need to know him as you would know a person. And what is a person like? Well, you can pick up some fairly unimportant things just by examining physical appearance, can't you? But how do you get to know them? Now, all of you, I want you to think, put on your thinking caps really tight. I want you to really think hard now. Look at me. Everyone look at me. Thank you. What is my sister's name? It's not Lisa, right? My name's Simpson, right? How would you find it out? Well, you could ask me. We could ask Janet. She knows. There might be someone else here that knows. What is my sister's name? You can't look in the phone book, if there was a phone book anymore, because she's married. Before you try just guessing, as I said, it's not Lisa. Okay, let me try another one. Look at me again. What is my favourite colour? Blue. Ah, Neville, am I wearing blue? No, okay. Um, what is my... F- okay, by experiencing me, by, by, by 
feeling what's going on. You can't tell what my favourite colour is. I'm not wearing it at the moment. That doesn't help, does it? You can't know people that way. How do you get to know people? You talk to them. Communication is absolutely essential. It's the lifeblood of relationships. If you don't communicate, you don't find out. You can only learn about a person, like the habitus or the, the exteriors or things like that. But you can only learn deeply about someone if they tell you about themselves. Now, some of you know, you know me a bit what I think about various ideas and topics and things like that. You know that I love maps and all that. And I may tell you that my favourite colour is chartreuse. There's a swash of chartreuse for you, for those of you that didn't know. And then you would know, right? You might not know what chartreuse was before I showed you that swatch, but you would know my favourite colour if that were true. It is possible to know God. It is possible especially if he is a person. That is, if he has a personality, if he has loves and hates and, and desires and relationships. And that is exactly what Jesus does for us. And so we turn to John chapter 14. John chapter 14, verse 5. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the way, says Jesus. What way? Is it the way to lunch? Is it the way to world peace? Is it the way to clean up politics? Well, maybe that's an impossible way. What does he mean? What does he mean that Jesus is the way? He means he is the way to knowing God. So in verse 9, Jesus says, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Now, the Father is Jesus' way of talking about God. But we don't see God in the visual sense, Jesus himself says in John chapter 6, no one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. We can't see God with our eyes any more than we can see the air we breathe on a clear day. It's not seeing in that sense. It's not that God physically resembles a human being. No, he shows us God in his character. Another way the Bible puts it is like this in Hebrews chapter 1. The Son, that's Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. See, Jesus is like God, like him in his being and his very, who he is, his personality, in the things that he's on about, concerned for, that he's passionate about. Now, when you say that a child is just like their parents, son like the father or daughter like the mother or whatever it might be, you don't necessarily mean just physical things, do you? There may be whole lots of different mannerisms or things that they talk about or turns of phrase or things like that that you can see in the child that are from the parent. I must admit, every time I look at my grandson, Nate, I think of my daughter, Erin, at the same age. So there's this physical thing. But there are also all these little notion, little habitual things that are going on that they're picking up from their parents. And if you're at the younger end of life, if you're someone who's under 20, how sick are you 
of being told that you are just like your mum or dad. Right? You're absolutely over it, aren't you? You see, Jesus fully reveals God. He exactly resembles God. So he's claiming something quite remarkable here. He's claiming that he reveals God to humanity. That if we want to find out what God is like, then we only have to look at Jesus. Now that's a big claim, isn't it? But it's even bigger than that. It's more than just an issue of seeing Jesus and so seeing God. He's not just like some divine photograph of God. It's about a relationship. If we know Jesus, if we relate to Jesus, then we know God, we relate to God. Our relationship, our understanding, our attitude to God all depend on our attitude to Jesus. Jesus is claiming exclusivity here. He is not a way, he is the way. He's not just one among many ways of knowing God, he is quite explicit. No one, he says, no one comes to know God unless they come to a relationship through Jesus. See, it's true, the humans by themselves can't cope, can't manage communication with God, can't manage knowing God by themselves. But God, because he's God, he can communicate with us because God has reached down into this world in Jesus Christ. He has walked amongst us, as it says in John chapter 1, full of grace and truth. Do you see verse 10 of chapter 14? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Jesus is telling us of his unity with God, of his personal identification with God. You see, our way to know God is Jesus. Jesus is God come on earth in human form. Paul puts it like this in Colossians chapter 1. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. All God's fullness dwell in Jesus. Everything that we can know about God is to be found in Jesus. Any other conception of God is at best a misconception and at worst a deception. And however we look at it, however you want to, to reframe it, it's not a proper representation of the God who is there. You see, there's this identity of person between Jesus and God. And Jesus himself tells us that hap that happens, that this appears in two ways. First, he says the things that God says. They are not just his opinion or idea. Again, in John chapter 14, the words I say to you, I do not speak on my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. See, what Jesus said is God at work. They're not just his own. They are the very words of God. Jesus and God are at such a unity that their words are the same words. They think the same thoughts. They say the same things. So you can't split them up. If you want to see God, look at Jesus. If you want to hear God, listen to Jesus. 
But then second, it's not just the words, it's also the actions. Jesus always obeyed God. He always had a good relationship with God the Father. It was never marred by fights or bickering. There were no times where Jesus told God to get out of his bedroom. Nothing like that. Leave me alone. No, Jesus did the things the Father asked him to do. And the Father asked him to do something that I know, something that most sons would not be willing to do, That is, God asked Jesus to die. God planned for him to die on the cross. It was God's will for Jesus to die on the cross. Was that so we could see what God was really like? Yes, absolutely. The God who loved the world and sacrificed for the world. But much more, actually. Really, It was to make us friends with God, to make that possible. You see, we are all naturally hostile to God. We don't actually want God in our lives because we want to be God. We want to be the decision makers. We want to make up our own rules. We want to be the ones who are the moral determiners, if you want, of our life. We want to live our life independent of him. All of us do. It's what the Bible calls sin. But not Jesus. He was always obedient to God. Jesus does the things God wants. He shows us God. And in no uncertain terms, Jesus is claiming to be God. And not only that, but the only way to know God. And that only has real meaning or weight if he truly is God. So, we are coming face to face with God. And when we come face to face with him, he demands a response from us because he is personal. What do you think about Jesus? Most people I've ever met have had some opinion about Jesus. There is some sense that we've heard something about him and made some sort of decision about him, whether it's just to ignore him or perhaps it's your first time hearing you think, oh, I've heard something about maybe I should find out what it's about or, or I've heard that it's this, or, I've heard that it's that, or, I've heard he's a great teacher, or, I've heard he was a myth, I've, it could be anything. But you've made some sort of decision about him as soon as you've heard it. But the really astonishing thing is not quite so much that no, that so many people have heard, but that almost nobody has done the work of actually trying to find out who he is, of going into the Bible and going into the sources and finding out what it says about him. So few of us have actually read a significant part of the Bible as adults, and yet we've made up our mind about him. Do you see what that means? That means that for so many people, We've made the most important decision in all of our life, the decision about God based on hearsay, based on what you might have heard as a child or what your parents told you or what your peers told you, based on the media or, worst of all, based on the movies. So what do you think about Jesus and why do you think it? Well, there are four responses, and these are classic responses, and we've heard these many times before. 
But if you've never heard these, these are the four responses. And if you can come up with a fifth or a sixth, I'd love to hear them, but here are the four responses. First of all, we can say he was a myth. I remember giving, talking to a bunch of people at St George Hospital many years ago, and one of the guys came to me and said, you know what, I've heard about all of this. It was all made up in the 16th century. Everything was made up. That's what he truly believed. Now, I only had to then say to him, well, look, we have these documents that go up well before the 16th century, back right back to the beginning of the second century AD. We have actual fragments of these manuscripts. And he said, really? I said, yeah. So it wasn't made up. No, it was not. But you, people can say he was a myth. Not many can when they look at the evidence, but they can. Or you can say he was a con man, that he was out to deceive people, to build his own little empire and perhaps deceive even himself in doing so. Or thirdly, that he was a megalomaniac, a crazy man. Now, I've met people in my work as a doctor who claim to be Jesus Christ. How do you work that one out? I mean, people claim almost anything, but how do you work that one out? Or he may just be who he says he was. That's the fourth one. The one who shows us God. The one who is so identified with God that we can know God and then when we know him. Now really, when you think about it, when you think about those four responses, only two of them are realistic. He could be mad or he could be who he says he is. But I don't want you to believe what I say. What I want you to do is look at the Bible. Read the four accounts of Jesus' life. See for yourself what Jesus is like. Does he seem like a crazy man? Does he seem to have delusions that he can't back up? Or does he actually seem frighteningly sane? And let's not kid ourselves. Whatever you think about Jesus, whatever you think about life, whatever you think about God, sincerity doesn't do it. You can be, and I have been, sincerely wrong. I remember standing in, in a street in Christchurch, many, I was off hitchhiking in New Zealand with my best friend at the time. We were standing, we'd gotten in on the train from uh, a long trip and we got off, it was dark and we we're walking the streets of Christchurch and I said to my friend David, I said, the, the youth hostel is that way. And he said, no, it's that way. And we stood on the, the corner there and we fought for a good five minutes about the direction. And eventually I said, okay, so how do you know? And he said, well, there's the sign. Right? I was sincerely, deeply, committedly wrong. Faith, you see, belief is not made real by sincerity, by its strength. It's made real by its object. It doesn't matter how weak your faith is, if the object is reliable, then your faith is okay. Faith, in fact, for most of us, faith is a bit misleading. Trust is a much better word. Trust depends on its object. Every one of you, when you walked in, you did not do a structural analysis of the seat you are now sitting on, did you? You can get underneath and check, you know, is there borers in the wood or, or you know, wiggle it around and think, will it take my enormously big frame or whatever? Like, you didn't do that, did you? You just sat down. 
You trusted the sea. You trusted the engineers. You trusted the welding. You trusted the screws. You trusted the ancient wood. You trusted so much. You've walked into this building trusting that the architects got it right. When you look at bits of it, you wonder. Real faith is what we put our trust in, you see. Not about how strong it is. But real faith is also shown in the way it works out in life. Now, if I said to you, there's a fire in the building right now. I know, I, this is in an illustration. There is no fire in the building. Right? If I said to you, though, there is a fire. If Lauren suddenly got up and said, there's a fire in the building, everyone get out. If you stayed in the building, you didn't believe it, did you? Even if you assented, yes, I know there's a fire, but no, you didn't believe what Lauren said. To have a real faith, to really trust what someone says means that changes will come out. It means changing the way we think, changing the way we act. Jesus is asking you to come to God, to see the true God through him. And what will we do about it? Will we actually take the time and the trouble to find out what he says? Read the gospel accounts. But don't stay in ignorance of what Jesus says because if what he says is right, it changes all of life and all of eternity. If that's a decision you would like to make, if that's a decision you would like to think more about, then please reach out to us. Please reach out to a Christian friend you know. Please pop it into the communication, the connection card that Lauren will talk about shortly. Come and talk to Lauren or talk to myself because this is the most important thing you will ever get right. The way to God is through Jesus Christ. The only way to God is through Jesus Christ. And we need to get that right. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, may we see with real clarity the invitation that you are making to us to know you, the God of the universe, through Jesus. Open our eyes to the reality of what he shows us about you. May we trust in him as the only way to come to you and by doing so, know the truth and be given real life. Thank you that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Amen. Next week, we'll be looking at Jesus as the truth. You might be like to be praying for friends that you know. You might, you might like to point them to the talk on YouTube, or you might like to bring them along to church. But you might like even more importantly, to look for opportunities to speak to them about the truth that is Jesus Christ.